This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Lee Sales, welcome back to Better Reading. Thanks for having me back again, Cheryl. We do, um, we do like to have you in the office, and I know you only live around the corner. I do, so it's very easy. It's you, very, you, very you move, easy. and I just won't be coming anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. We'll lose you, so we won't move. Um, Lee Sales AM is one of Australia's most respected journalists. As a new presenter of Australian Story and the recent host of the ABC's flagship current affairs program, Seven Thirty, she has interviewed dozens of world leaders and celebrities, including Hillary Clinton, the Dalai Lama, Paul McCartney, Salman Rushdie. Margaret Atwood and Bill Gates. I mean, that's just naming a very small handful. Lee is the winner of three Walkley Awards, a best-selling author and the co-host of the popular podcast Chat 10 Looks 3 with Annabelle Crabb. In 23, her service to journalism and the community was recognised with an honorary doctorate from the Edith Cowan University. Her latest book, Storytellers, is a collection of interviews from some of the best Australian journalists about how and why they bring us the stories that inform our lives. You are a storyteller, aren't you? You can't help yourself. Yeah, I'm a big sticky beak yeah. and I just, I'd love a great anecdote, basically. Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, that, I mean, that's why journalism as a career has suited me. Yeah. Do you know, I think I've got the same disease on a different level. Like, I'm not a journalist, but I, I, I've spoken about this on the podcast. I was in hospital very recently, just at RPA down the road, and I was really sick. And my family wanted me to go into a private room or a single room or whatever. And... Um, it's a public teaching hospital, so that wasn't going to happen on request, right, as it shouldn't. And I said, I need to stay in a room with other people. Right. I need to get out of my head. And do you know, Lee, I got so many stories. That kept me going for the two weeks that I was there. Yeah. Because it's such a high turnover. People come in and spend a couple of nights. And then I was there the longest. I was there two weeks. I became like the mother of the, <laughs> the ward, right? But I got, we live in a silo and yep. I got to hear people's stories. Yeah, and it puts your own troubles in perspective, I think, Absolutely. sometimes too. I had a few years ago where one of my children was in hospital mm. and the little boy in the bed next to us had a, a tumour on his testicles and he was having surgery and he was in a lot of pain and so forth. And um, it was just kind of... You know, because you, you, you always feel sorry for yourself, you know, when you're in the situation where you've got a kid in hospital and then you see other people and you think, oh, man, that would be so rough. And, and you know, so I think it, that also helps, you know, hearing mm. other people's stories. It makes you feel 
I think also just that you're not alone, mm. that other people have challenges as well mm. to go through. Mm. That was with my last book, what I found with Any Ordinary Day. So many people, like still probably not a week goes past that people don't talk to me about that book. And the thing that they often will say is, oh, it was such a, a relief to me to read other people's mm. experiences and, mm. and how, you know, I felt like, oh, other people have felt like this before and, and gotten through. Mm. Well, that was what it was for me because I was quite critical and all I wanted was to talk to whoever was new in the room and to find out what their story was. Right. And everybody's like, you know, my sister would say to me, you're not working. <laughs> but also it helps but, the time pass because it's time moves pretty slowly. And in also I needed to I needed to think stories and yep. stories, I think, and I, I realised then and I thought about your book actually, your first book, I thought how life can change so quickly. Yeah. Um, but I was one of the lucky ones and I came out and I'm well, but, you know, it could have gone either way. But anyway, it did make me think of you. And then even today when I'm doing the research, your books are about other people's stories yeah. all of the time. Your career is about other people's stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's I, a little thing going on there. I, you, you are absolutely 100% right. And even right back to childhood, I used to be obsessed with my mother my, and my grandmother lived with us. We used to get Women's Weekly and New Idea Women's Day and so forth. And my favourite thing was always the advice column because it was other people's <laughs> stories. I used to love sticky-beaking at people's yeah. problems and how they were advised. It's, other people are just interesting. You could do that maybe in later life. Like oh, you I could be G Lee. I would, love to. <laughs> I would love to do that. There you go. <laughs> now listen, um, lots and lots of big changes in your career this year. Is yes. That right? Yeah. Tell yeah. me, tell me. So you left seven thirty. Left seven thirty, and actually, funnily enough, so I've gone to Australian Story, which yes. also is about I other love people's that stories. Show. It's so I love good, that isn't show. it? Yeah. I know. And hearing people, we just at the time you and I are recording this, we're just in the middle of airing a two part story on Silverchair um, mm. and the two guys who aren't Daniel Johns, um, Ben Gillies and Chris Jonah, and talking about their experiences becoming hugely globally famous as schoolboys and their band and mm. then, you know, what happened in the unravelling of the band and so forth. And it's just... There's just something fantastic about because Australian story doesn't use any narration or report of mm. voiceovers. It's always people's stories, kind of in their own words, mm. um, and so that's been great. It's um, it's a really different pace to being on a, a news-based mm. show where you're tied to the daily news cycle. And I must say, one of the things that's really struck me with Australian story is the level of care that the producers put into dealing with the people who mm. are on the show. It's mm. actually, and I think it shows in the in the mm. stories, they are so invested in making sure people have a good experience and that they're comfortable with what goes to air. But because also they're the full generous time. in telling their story. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. They give us a lot of time, people. Yeah. And they're often talking about hard stuff, you know. Mm. So in the Silverchair one, like, you know, the, the kind of breakdown of their friendships that they'd had since childhood over the course of the life of the band and, and you know, they haven't been able to repair them um, fully, that's hard to mm. talk about things like that publicly. Mm. Um, and so people put a lot of trust in us and mm. so I think we try our best to make sure that that trust is not misplaced. Mm. Absolutely. I, I feel that the show shows a lot of empathy yeah, um, and I don't, I, I don't know. That might be the reason why I've been hooked on it. Yeah, I, the public's I've, always loved that show too. Mm, yeah, I've watched it, and sometimes I go back and watch episodes that have really kind of impacted on me, or need to remind me of where I'm at, or yeah. you know those things. Because I really do think that you know you can't take away from the fact that hearing and listening to other people's stories is 
says a lot about who we are, I think, as people. 100%. Doesn't yeah. it, and it, you know? And it's what connects you to other people. Because mm. I often think about, say, with, you know, my close friendships, what makes you friends with mm. somebody is not um, that they're successful. It's not their achievements. That's mm. not what you're drawn to. What what makes a close friendship is the sharing of your vulnerabilities. And mm. that's your stories, basically, that, mm. that, you know, you're sharing with others. But, I mean, the reality is, too, like... All of us, I think, even though, say, I'm a professional um, storyteller, all of us actually in our lives are storytellers mm. because in our work we all have to communicate with each other. If I leave here and my neighbour's out and I'm having a chat to my neighbour, that is a form of storytelling when we tell each other what's mm. going on in our lives. It's mm. kind of so integral, you know, to what we do. And one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, Storytellers, is because I think a lot of the tools that you know I use in my everyday job are actually things that just generally people could apply and be better mm. communicators. Not that you not from how I'm rabbiting on now, but for example, brevity. Mm. <laughs> you know, like people who can tell an anecdote get to the point pretty quickly. That's a useful storytelling skill, and it's one that you have to practice in journalism all the time. Mm. Why the move? Why the move from seven thirty to Australian Story? I was just after doing it for nearly twelve years, and I, and also you got to remember before that it was you know twenty years of daily news reporting, mm. I was just absolutely exhausted from mm. just, you know, I'd be sitting somewhere like this, Cheryl, and my phone would light up and, and you'd be asking questions and I'm saying like, oh, there's nine text messages of coming, what's happening, what's mm. going on? There's an earthquake. There's an earthquake, I've got to get yeah, out. Yeah. Oh, how, how quickly can we get this wrapped up? And then so you, and then you go out and you say, oh, the Prime Minister's available for an interview, but I've only got two out. Like, so you're just in that mindset the entire time, which gets draining. Mm. And then also the early years of 7.30, my kids were really young and mm-hmm. so it was kind of manageable because I could spend time with them in the morning and then go into work and, and so forth. Whereas as they got older, you know, they'd be kind of, I'd, I'd get home at about half past eight, they'd be pushing themselves to stay awake so that I'd be, they'd be up when I mm. got there. Then they'd get a second wind because mm. they were excited <laughs> that I was there. I would be knackered mm. and so cross and want them to go to bed. And then I just thought after a while, it's just not really fair because I think they are entitled to want to have some time with their mum mm. and it's not great that what they get of me is um, tired me at mm. the end of the day because once they started school, of course, we couldn't have mm. time together in the morning. So it just got to a point where, you know, the appeal, the lure of the couch in the evening and watching some TV mm. with the kids was more than the the lure of continuing to carry on with that job. Mm. And, I, and also I'd never wanted to be someone who had overstayed their welcome in that role. I think those kind of jobs have a, you know, in my head when I started, I said to the bosses, I thought that if you did it for 10 years, that would be the absolute, like you would have a dream run if you held that job for 10 years. And every year after that, I kept thinking, is it time, is it time, is it time? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just totally ready to go. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, I was bragging the other day and telling my friends that I'll be talking to you. (laughs) And... uh, one of them said to me, can, can, I, can you ask a question for me, my friend Mary? And I said, yeah, sure. How does Lee tolerate social media and some of those dreadful comments that are out there? How do you, how do you deal with that? And I thought, that's a good question. I want to ask yeah, you Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, look, I – thank you, Mary, for your question. Um, <laughs> look, I, I know this sounds kind of weird, but I heard Hannah Gadsby say something like this in a stand-up comedy show. She said – after a while, when you get a massive volume of it, it's almost like a vaccine, like you're getting micro-dosed with it all the mm. time. And so after a while, it has, for me, 
not a great deal of effect on me because the volume of it was so gigantic um, every day in, in all sorts of different directions mm. that it almost hits a point of like ridiculousness or something where it mm. just feels meaningless. And also the other thing too is when I was a kid, my grandmother always used to say, like if I would say to her, what did so-and-so say about my, you know, school dance mm. or whatever, she would go, it's none of your business what anybody thinks of you. And, you know, what oh, she I meant... like that. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. And she meant it in, in both directions in that if somebody thinks that you're fantastic, well, mm. you don't need to know about that because mm. you'll become a monster. But if also if somebody thinks you're terrible, well, you don't need to know about that either because, you know, mm. it's just going to be crushing to you. So you've got to do what you think you need to do and mm. not be distracted by the noise was basically the message. And so for me, it kind of came down a bit to, you know, partly it was just this kind of wall of noise. It always used to strike me that it was largely anonymous, which I mm. felt devalued it. And also that I put stock in my real life relationships, not in what strangers mm. think of me. And even in reality, the way regular people in real life engage with me is nothing, you know, fans, I mean, or um, viewers of, of programs I've done, it's nothing like how people behave towards me on social media. Mm. So I kind of chose, I guess, to just focus on my experience of reality, not my experience in social media. And then also, to be honest, I just did practical strategies like not look at it. I mean, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Mm. Um, I dip in and out of, um, I'm sort of a little bit on Facebook, but not really. Um, so I just kind they of... They seem to be, the other two seem to be less vehemently angry. I think yeah. Twitter is the most anger. I, I yeah. can't deal with it. I'm, I've got a very, um, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I can't. And lucky, lucky I don't. Well, yeah. I've never engaged in Twitter in a big way. I've got a profile, but I don't use it. But I can't even deal with a bad review on Apple on the podcast, <laughs> right? So that has me crying for days. <laughs> yeah, so, well, best to not engage because so also... I don't, yeah. Because also right. you don't know the person who writes a bad review on Apple, um, firstly, they could be a nasty person. You wouldn't have any idea. Maybe they're having a, a yeah. horrible time Maybe in their own life. Maybe they just didn't like it. Maybe they just yeah. didn't like it and they're yeah. allowed to not like it, you yeah. know. So... I think you've got to kind of go. All right, well, yeah. you know, do why? Do, what is the reason for um, all this hatred? Not not towards you, of course, but just on social. Yeah. How people have that? Because I'm still a writer. Like I do. I don't engage in Twitter, but I wrote to the chairman of Qantas the other day. Like right. I will write. Right. Know? I'll write to the CEO of the Sydney Opera House and ask her why Beirut hasn't been acknowledged. And you oh, know, she right. responded. You know, oh, she great. was fantastic. Yeah. So I get my concerns out that way. What do you think has happened to us? Are we angrier? I I wonder that. I mean, I think that's a fantastic mm. question. I think the algorithms of social media are almost designed to whip people's emotions up mm. and, and make them angry because what they, you know, have discovered is that outrage um, fuels engagement. Mm. So basically, after a while, if you click all the time on Donald Trump rallies, mm. your feed will start to get flooded with clips from Fox News mm. and it's kind of all inflammatory material. And so... I just think it's garbage in, garbage out. If you're filling your brain with conflict and outrage and fury and tribalism, that's what starts coming mm. out. Mm. And so I, I do think that it's a, it's partly, you know, I think we are angrier because of social media, but I also think the anonymity allows people to mm. engage in their worst selves. Mm. Because the way, you know, people speak to each other 
you just wouldn't speak to somebody like that in reality or if your name and your Ever. employer was on it, yeah, you know. Ever. So I think it's a combo of those yeah. things. And I've always had a thing with business and even my staff here, they'll tell you this, I, if they get into a conversation in email and it's not going anywhere, like a professional conversation, I always say to them, pick up the phone. Oh, yeah. Hear a person's voice, you know. Yeah, definitely. Let's make a connection, you know. In journalism, mostly you want to, if say if you're talking to someone about whether, you know, they might do an interview with you, you want to meet them in person. Person, mm. not even on the phone, because just human interactions one on one, you get a sense of what the person's like. Mm. If you trust them, you know what their manners like. Are they shy? Are they extroverted? And you can't get that in a text message, or it's much easier to kind of cultivate an image, you know, mm. in, a, in a text or an and email. an email. Yeah, even though you've got more characters That's or whatever, it. it's, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Hey, one of my favourite interviews of yours, and I'm going to forget her name, but it was one of um, it was the PR person for Donald Trump. Oh yeah, yeah. Sarah. Huckabee Sanders. I loved yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. that was great because she was in a real dilemma with that question. I do enjoy I, I do miss doing interviews like that where you you're armed with facts and yes. someone's speaking nonsense and you're able to point that out and to yeah. just go, well hang on, you just said blah, but actually this data from XYZ contradicts that. Yeah. And I think also I mean, I don't know, Americans not perhaps so much with her, certainly towards the president. The manner of American journalists in their press conferences, it's a lot more deferential than Australian or British media. I used to notice that when I was Washington correspondent, I'd feel like, wow, the tone is so kind of tippy-toeing around right. things. Yeah. So you don't tend to see the US president put under a kind of the kind of interview that you see the Prime Minister have on 7.30. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if she was used to that style of interviewing, that kind of polite, persistent, you know, calling right. people out style of interviews. Yeah. But, yeah, I enjoyed that one. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In an instance like that, would somebody come back at you, like the publicist or something, and make a few comments? No, no not usually. No. Um, no. I can't think ever of um, – sometimes politicians would maybe ring you afterwards and be cross yeah. or say, I didn't think that was fair or whatever. And I, I didn't mind that because I was happy – because part of my job at 7.30 was to keep people coming for interviews. Yeah. If they felt the need to vent, I didn't mind that. And I also think if you've got something wrong, well, you, you know, you can cop it on yeah. the chin and admit you've got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other thing with 7.30 was I always would try to make sure that I had 
engagements with people, with my contacts that weren't always around the time of interviews because mm. you, you don't want every encounter with people to be when you've had a major mm. kind of stoush. Mm. So with the prime ministers, the opposition leaders and ministers and so forth, I would periodically check in in between times just to say, how's things going? What, what's mm. on your plate? What's mm. worrying you? You know, so forth. Um, now, I stand to be corrected here, right? So I'm highly political, you know. I've been, I follow US politics really closely and world politics in Australia. And I favour, for those that listen to the podcast, um, I'm definitely a lefty. Um, and so I've got a genuine bias and that's some of the complaints that I get about my bias. At least right. you're open about your bias. A lot of people oh, yeah. can't recognise their own bias or they pretend they don't have it. Right. Oh, I definitely have it. Right. So I need you to correct me though, because in what I see and in the direction that we're going, the right is getting angrier and the left is trying to make up for that anger, you know, and then that becomes diluted, you know, that we're all kind of, we're appeasing. It's like having a troublemaker in a classroom, right? I, and so that changes the full dynamics of that room. I think everyone's angry. I think Do left you? and right are angry. Oh, Do yeah. You? I think that, it, I mean, based on my Twitter feed and the abuse I got, a lot of it comes from the left. So I think that that's part of the issue, that there's just anger across the board. Yeah, yeah, it's very disillusioning. But I think in terms of you saying, though, about you being biased, clearly, though, you're, because you're interested in people, like say when you were in your hospital room, it wasn't mm. like you were thinking, all right, well, Bobby in the bed over there is worth talking to because he shares my political views, but Mary no. over here, I'm not going to talk to yeah. because you're interested in people. And one of the things that I've found in life is um, people who are different to you and uh, come from different backgrounds or they have different views or whatever, they're super interesting because mm. sometimes you feel like, wow, I just don't even understand mm. how you can think like that. And can you kind of explain it? to me. And I think sometimes those are the conversations when I have them with people that I walk away from thinking, wow, you've really made me think there. Like mm. I remember when I was Washington correspondent, Tony Blair came to do a, the then British Prime Minister, this address to a joint sitting of Congress. And it was- What a, think, a disappointment he turned out to be. Th- but anyway. <laughs> I think it was like 2004 or five. It yeah. was well into the Iraq war and it was well into the Iraq war being an absolute disaster. Oh my God. And he, as you might recall, had backed in George W. Bush very comprehensively. And mm. I, I had always, because, you know, I tried to do my reporting based on fact, I had always found the whole venture into Iraq from day one very puzzling because there was no link to 9-11 and, and mm. all the military campaign was about 9-11. Mm. So I felt like it was this spurious kind of link and then it was revealed that the weapons of mass destruction didn't exist and so forth. Anyway, Tony Blair came to address a joint sitting of both houses of Congress to talk about why the war in Iraq had been a just cause. It was, to this day, I, I think I've rarely heard a speech that was so persuasively making a case. Like I sort of for sat For something there, that didn't even, wasn't even true. For, for something that was, yeah, for something that was, you know, I felt that the facts didn't didn't back in. He And, and he wasn't using, as they do now, alternate facts. He was still using reason, logic, evidence and fact to argue. And he was arguing, say, for example, on humanitarian grounds that right. it would have been better to remove Saddam Hussein and so forth, which was a legitimate argument, including an argument that some people on the left had about the war mm. in Iraq. But I, I walked away from it and, I, and it really made me stop and think uh, and made me think, is he, is he right? Is, was there merit in doing that? And I thought that is rare that you hear someone make a case where you, where it stops you and you go, hmm, mm. 
Mm. Yeah, actually, you made, you've really stopped and made me think. Because so often these days, people make their case based from their opinion, mm. just from the vibe, from their gut, from their political bias or whatever. And I find it more engaging when somebody can make a very kind of intellectual, like Christopher Hitchens used mm. to make, you know, yes. who was yeah. also a pro-Iraq war yes. person, yeah. where you'd read the, their arguments and you'd go... I don't think I disagree with that, but geez, you've forced me to really sit back and have think some about solid it. thinking about it. Mm. Hey, you know, just a, a sideline there. One of the best. I was in the US around about that time, and one of the best bumper stickers I saw over there was fantastic. It said, "Weapons of mass destruction, look behind the bush." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is very clever on a few <laughs> different levels. Um, see that I. A lot of my work in journalism is so heavily influenced because I was young, you know, when I was over there doing that. And to see, that's why you have to always question people in power. You don't, because back in that era, if you were asking questions about US foreign policy or the detention of people at Guantanamo Bay, you were basically accused of being on the side of terrorists Mm -hmm. if you didn't back it all in. Mm -hmm. And all of the evidence and and everything that's come after, that's why journalists should always be sceptical mm. of mm. people in power and asking mm. questions about things and never and taking it for granted. And why we need journalists. It's why we need journalists, journalists and why we need independent journalists yeah. and not people who choose sides and they're like, oh, I'm going to barrack in, you know, mm. Gladys Berejiklian or Dan Andrews or whoever. You've got to be all the time thinking, is what they're saying, does it square with the facts and the evidence as we, as we know? Mm. Do you think, are you optimistic about our political future? Um, I'm worried about it. Yeah. I, I mean, worry a lot. Yeah. I worry because I just feel like it's so kind of tribal and mm. that, you know, the centre ground seems to get kind of smaller all mm. the time um, mm. and people's ability to compromise, you know, gets smaller, um, it seems to me, often. And so I'm worried about that. But I'm also worried because I'm in the media. I'm also worried about that, you know, in the media. And, in fact, this was in my 2007 book, On Doubt, I was writing about this years ago, that it's bothered me the trend towards the merging of opinion and news. Um, and entertainment. Entertainment, yeah, yeah, exactly. And just um, facts getting left out if they don't conveniently back one end of things mm. and um, that really bothers me where that's all going. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if I'm... I'm you know, I hate to say I'm pessimistic. I'm, I'm probably like... I think worried is the Mm. best word, Mm. yeah. So what gets me going on that night, because I do worry, and sometimes I think, oh, I've got to stop reading the news, but then, you know, I thought I can't do that either. Well, that's that's the thing, you know, like news avoidance is an actual thing. All the data now shows that a lot of people are switching off. Yeah. But I think about, because I don't know if you know this, but, you know, um, my family's from Lebanon and my mother has got, you know, she died recently, but she has, you know, brothers and sisters there. So I've got first cousins that we keep in contact with. So there's a real relationship there. And they live in a war-torn mess, you know, mm. not just war, the bombing, Beirut, whatever. And do you know what I love about them? Like I follow my cousins on Instagram who've got, say, young children. And five days after the bomb, they're having a party for their seven-year-old in the backyard. Wow. You know, and I think they... Just living life. 
They just want to live life. Mm. And that to me is a real life. Like for me, when I'm down on what's happening, I got to remember that yeah. and remember how you need to live. Whatever is around you, it's just keeping that life. Well, you having children would know that and, as and well. And just being perfect. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the news that's out of your control, that's basically. Right. And so you just have to make your own difference where you can. Yeah. The other thing with... Um, news avoidance, one of the things that comes up all the time with people is that it makes them feel anxious about the world around them. And something I've started saying to people is um, what you should tell yourself when you're watching the news is the things that you see on the news are the least likely things to happen to you. That's why they're on the news. Because the nature of the news is that we report the aberration. And it's important that we do that because say if a helicopter crashes, we need to know is there are there faulty parts in helicopters? Is there a problem with pilot training? Do we have an issue with flight zones or something? Because we want don't want there to be more helicopter crashes. But the fact that it's it's kind of there on the news by its very nature means it's a rare thing to happen. So often I think if things get reported too much and heavily magnified, like you often see this, say, in flu season, mm. people start thinking, oh, geez, if my mm. child gets flu, they're going to be in hospital, mm. they're going to die. No, that's very, very unlikely. The most likely thing that's going to happen if your child gets flu is they might be a bit sick and then they'll be fine. Mm. And so I think that's a good thing when you're watching the news to keep in mind that, you know, it's unlikely for me to be hit by a car. It's unlikely for me to be eaten by a shark, to be in a helicopter crash, for my child to die from the flu. That's why I'm seeing it on the news because it's unlikely to happen to Mm. me. Because I feel that when, and and that's a really good point, Lee, I feel that when I'm not engaging in the news that I worry about the fact that I might, there'll be a lack of empathy on my part or, you know, that my life becomes so siloed no. that I don't know what's happening out I don't there. Think, I, don't, I think if you feel that you need a break from the news, you should give yourself it. a break from the news, yeah. Or just, you know, I noticed um, actually when I was on maternity leave with my kids because I was in the habit of in the morning I'd always listen to ABC radio and, and back in the, when they used to have 7.45am news and then am. And when I was on maternity leave I used to listen to um, 80s, mix 80s on the radio instead. <laughs> And I noticed that um, I was in a better mood all the time. And I Mm. I thought, this is so weird. Why am I in such a better mood? And I realised because I wasn't listening to the news in the morning and getting wound around the axle about things. Mm. And uh, it it does make a big difference. I don't want to encourage, given what I do for a living, I don't want to encourage people to switch off the news. But I think it's okay to put some boundaries and some limits around how much Mm. of it you consume. And I think that's why podcasts got so popular. Definitely. People can pick and choose. Hey, now, because we've been chatting for so much, tell me um, where the idea of storytellers came from. So I I had years ago read a book that I really liked and it was a collection of interviews with great American narrative nonfiction writers. So people mm. like Tom Wolfe, um, John Krakauer, who, who write oh, yeah. those really great immersive Climbing. books yeah. and who use kind of novelly, novel techniques, fiction techniques to tell nonfiction stories. And I love hearing the craft of how people do things in any field that they're an expert in, whether it's trumpet player, table maker. I just love hearing people who are passionate. And how they got there. How they got there, yeah. Yeah. And what is it that they like about it and and so forth. And so when I read this book about the craft of writing, I was actually... um, I thought, God, that's so fascinating to me how all of these people are amazing writers, but their processes are all really quite different. Mm. And I thought to myself, that would be a great thing actually to do about journalism because I knew myself from working in newsrooms that, you know, some journalists get everything done early, some people work right to the deadline, some people are organised, some are disorganised, some map out a structure before they write their script, some just start writing. And so it had always been in the back of my head that, oh, I'd love to do something like this about journalism. And then lockdown happened in New South Wales in 2021 and I 
I suddenly thought, you know what, if I want to do that, I've actually got time because mm. I can do all the interviews on Zoom. It's not like a, a book, say, like Detainee 002, where you have to go and immerse mm. in court cases or whatever. Mm. And so I just started doing it. Mm. So, yeah. It's similar to what I do, you know. I mean, I've interviewed totally. over 500 writers. Wow. And and, and I, I, I'll be interesting, interested to see what you say about this. Um, I think it's 500 podcasts now. And honestly, I could say this, not two writers are the same. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So yeah. I've listened to 500 different stories, but they're all doing the same thing. It's they're incredible, isn't book. it? But same with you would all say now this now too, if you've done 500 interviews, Every interview is really different as yeah. well. And one of the things that makes you a good interviewer is because um, you're not going from a list of pre-prepared questions. No. You're having an actual conversation. Mm. It's the biggest error that young reporters or even senior reporters make is to go into an interview and have a pre-prepared list of questions that no matter what the other person says, they mm. keep going down their list of mm. questions. I've seen people do that. Yeah. It's much better to have a conversation mm. and to trust that, you know, when you go to the pub and you meet a friend, you don't stress that, well, I'm not going to have anything to ask about it, but it takes a list of questions. You, you can make the conversation work. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations, Lee. I think Thank the you. last time you were here, we said keep writing, so keep writing. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. No, thank you, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack. 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.